Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us take three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. It's my pleasure this morning to introduce uh, Dustin Messer. If you don't know Dustin, Dustin is the vicar, that's right, the vicar of All Saints Dallas. All Saints Dallas is the church uh, that planted us, so it's always great to have people from All Saints, and it's great to have Dustin. Uh, Dustin is a great preacher. He has a sharp mind and a pastor's heart, and I love that about him. And I also love that we are both from the panhandle of Texas. Yeah, and Flatlanders stick together. (laughs) So I'm going to pray for Dustin so we can hear from him. Lord, I thank you for Dustin. I thank you for bringing him uh, to preach to us today from your word. And as he uh, opens your word and speaks to us from the transfiguration, I pray that you would bless his words and you would bless us as we hear um, your word proclaimed. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. If you would, open your Bibles with me to the gospel lesson, Luke chapter 9. This is, uh, Chris prayed and said, is Transfiguration Sunday. There are all these words in the church and in the liturgy that sometimes are kind of hard to, uh, to grasp, like we just prayed disquietude. And there are various groups within uh, the Anglican Communion who are seeking to revise and bring into uh, kind of more modern language, you know, different things in the, in the prayer book to make it more understandable. And if they get to uh, the proclamation of forgiveness, I think it should be, you're good, with a footnote, Chris Myers. Such a great picture of what the absolution actually means. This is Luke chapter 9. I should say something about the most embarrassing thing that's happened to me maybe in the past two weeks. Uh, There's a lot of competition, but I learned that a dog only sweats through their paws. Now you'd think, that's probably like on a Snapple lid or something, how could that be embarrassing? Our dog was sick, he was feeling bad, but he doesn't, you know, speak English, and so I don't know how to articulate what it means for a dog to, he just seemed not himself. So we went to a vet, and the vet said, um, said, you know, what's wrong with him? And uh, he's just not moving around, he's like laying down, and that's kind of it, that was all we had to say. And he didn't think this was enough, and he said, what else? And I wasn't trying to make something up, but I thought this, and I said, you know, he also seems kind of clammy. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, I don't know, just like, I think he's sweating a lot, you know? And, uh, and my wife looked at me, because she, I guess, already read the Snapple lid about how dogs don't sweat, and knew this was dumb. 
And uh, the vet just kind of looked at, at me and said, is he clammy typically after the um, like sprinklers are on in the backyard? <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, maybe. But the truth is, I actually did, though my dog was dry, I thought he was, he was kind of clammy. Your senses can kind of let you down sometimes. You can think something is true, but then it winds up not being true. The next, I promise this won't last more than two minutes. The next two minutes of this sermon are going to be kind of boring. So if you want to get coffee or something, you don't really have to follow the next two minutes to follow the rest of the sermon. But 400 years ago, there was a philosopher named Rene Descartes. And he thought this. He said, you know, sometimes our senses do let us down. We think something's true. It turns out not to be true. And he was Catholic. He was a Christian and, and ends this, this thought exercise still being a Christian. But he said, how can I know for sure what's real? Because we've all had experiences where you're dreaming and you think it's real and it turns out not to be. And so he says, I don't know that I have a physical body, you know, because maybe that isn't real. Our senses let us down again. I don't know that the, the whole world even exists. What if I'm in the mind of just an evil genius who's sort of, uh, you know, uh, I'm like a artificial intelligence or something. And then he says, uh, I can doubt everything. He says, but I know that if I'm doubting, he said, I know that's happening. Because even if I doubt that that's happening, I'm doubting that I'm doubting. And he says, and doubt is sort of a subcategory of thought. And so his famous kind of uh, quote that also may be on the, the lid of a snapple, I'm not sure, is I think, therefore I am. And then he says that, uh, you know, you from that can construct a whole theory of reality. And he said this... We're almost done. We have like 30 more seconds, and then we'll talk about the Bible. But he says that ideas are like apples, and we all have an apple cart. And that's our head. That's our belief system. And he said that, uh, you know, if you have one bad idea in there, that it can corrupt all of the other apples, all of the other ideas. So what he does is he takes all the apples out, and then starting with this one apple, I think, therefore I am, he tests every other idea based on this one apple. Well, in the Gospels, the uh, disciples have an encounter, and we're going to do something that's kind of a thought exercise, which is what if instead of uh, beginning to construct a whole theory of reality based on one thing, you know, because other philosophers say, well, it's not thinking, it's just kind of self-reflection, or it's emotion, something like that. Uh, we're just going to say, what if the basis of everything we know about God, about this world, about how we should live, what if the first apple we put in our cart that we judge everything else by uh, is the transfiguration? And this is just going to, we're going to see what happens if you do that. And we're going to read the, the passages because this is Luke chapter 9. We'll start in verse uh, 28. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And he, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzlingly white. If the transfiguration happened, and let's just take it, remember, Descartes kind of ends a Christian still, so this apple gets put back in. But let's just say this apple's the first what does it tell us about God? That this man, Jesus of Nazareth, 2,000 years ago, was filled with the glory of God, as we'll see in a moment, a yes and amen. In other words, when they looked upon the face of Jesus, 
there was something of his divinity that became transplendent, that radiated through his physical flesh, and they saw in the face of Jesus, God. They saw God in his holiness and in his glory. This man, they left this mount knowing, is God indeed, very God. A few weeks ago, the lectionary is kind of building up to Transfiguration Sunday, and we had the story of Jacob's ladder. Remember, Jacob is asleep, and he's, people are out to kill him, and he's kind of run away. He has no place to lay his head, so he's sleeping on a rock. And then he has a vision of a ladder, and he sees God. And here's what's amazing about the story. Where is God? God is not on top of the ladder in heaven. God isn't far off from Jacob. God is at the bottom of the ladder, the very last rung. He's next to Jacob. Jesus says that I myself am Jacob's ladder. Eventually you'll see angels ascending and descending on me. You see, the point of Transfiguration Sunday, if we begin just thinking this is true, what can we assume about God? That he isn't just kind of a first-moved mover, he isn't distant, he isn't remote, but that this God has stepped down the ladder of reality, that heaven is here, it's among us, and that we can know God, the face of God in Jesus. And if we want to know what is God like, we don't have to appeal to all sorts of philosophic, you know, speculation. We can know that God loves children because Jesus loves children. We can know God cares about the poor because Jesus cares about the poor. In Jesus, we can know God because God is not distant now, but he is Emmanuel, God with us. That's the first thing we see is that God's with us. The second thing we see is about the nature of the world. So look at verse 30. And behold, two men were walking with him, Moses and Elijah, him being Jesus, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So what does the transfiguration tell us about God, that he's very near, that he isn't remote and distant? What does it tell us about the world? Well, interestingly, it's not just Jesus who is resplendent, who is filled with the glory of God. But it's also human beings, physical creatures like me and you, Moses and Elijah. And maybe you would think, well, yeah, if Jesus is the Word of God, if He is God Himself, then of course He can contain divinity. He can have a sort of beatific vision. He can be filled with the glory of God. But not me, not us, not us physical creatures. I remember when I was 16, I ran out of gas shortly after getting my license, and um, I was just around the corner from a gas station. I walked in the gas station, and they didn't sell jugs to put gas in, and uh, I'm obviously, I thought dogs sweat, so I don't know some things, I guess, that other people know. So I got a, a styrofoam cup, and I went out and put the gasoline in the styrofoam cup, and I made it a quarter of a block before the gasoline poured out of the styrofoam cup because the styrofoam cup can't contain the gasoline. And you may think that that's what it's like to be human, you know, that we're sort of, or just physical things are sort of, sec they're, they're dissipating, they're going away. But here at the Transfiguration, we see God's plan and intention for not just us, but all the physical reality that is exactly as Jen just prayed, that God is not making all new things he isn't going to say, well, this creation fell and is broken, and I'm going to sort of start over. 
but that he's making all things new. And in Elijah and Moses, we see what love can do, and love can do this. It can restore us to that which we were meant to be. It can set right that which is broken. And if we just start with the transfiguration, we see God is near and we matter. Physicality matters. God didn't make junk that he's just going to throw away, but God made a good world and he is on a mission to redeem it. So just last point, if we start with the transfiguration, we learn some things about God, about the world. Now, Descartes wanted to know, how do I know how to live in the world? How do I know what the good life is? How do I know where to find meaning in the world? Well, if we start with the transfiguration, here's what we learn about how we're supposed to live in the world. So this is verses 32 and following. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one, Listen to him. The same author of Luke's gospel wrote the book of Acts. And there are echoes in Acts that when something incredible happens, when a miracle happens, when someone is healed, that it points to the Word of God, that these signs were meant to make people wonder, could this be true? Uh, just in closing, my wife and I uh, a few weeks ago saw a play called Into the Woods, and there's a movie based on it, but the movie's a little different, and in the play, it, there are all these grim fairy stories. There's Little Red Riding Hood, there's Cinderella, and there's a narrator, and he's telling everybody, including the, the folks on the play, here's the meaning. Here's why the baker and the baker's wife weren't able to have a baby. Here's why the giant lives up in the sky. Here's the point of the beanstalk. He's narrating the play, and then halfway through, a giant comes down, and everybody in the play, the actors, uh, get scared. And the narrator is, is contemplating, what should these people in Grimm's fairy tale do with the giant? What's the right response to this giant that's come down? And as he's talking, all of the characters come together and they surround the narrator and they feed him to the giant. And then Cinderella, it's a very dark play, and then Cinderella sings, to Little Red Riding Hood, now that this narrator has been fed and we've lost a, a source to the reason we exist, she says, witches can be good, giants can be right, you decide what's good, you decide what's right. And then what happens? Uh, Prince Charming seduces the baker's wife and the baker uh, leaves his newborn baby uh, just abandoned and everybody starts victimizing each other and being victimized by one another. This is exactly what happens in the Garden of Eden. God creates the world from his word. He gives his word in the garden to Adam and Eve. And the word isn't just do this, don't do that. It's meaning. It's reason. But Adam and Eve do something. They cast out that word. They feed the word to the giant. And they do that which is right in their own eyes. And immediately after that, there's murder, there's death, there's betrayal, there's politics, people trying to just find meaning within themselves, and it's the disquietude that we just prayed, uh, prayed about. There's harm. 
And then in the Gospels, we see that the Word of God, the narration that offers us orientation in the world, doesn't remain aloof, but that the narrator has come back into the story to help those people whom betrayed him, who fed him to death. And Jesus, in being filled with glory, shows this sign. This is the point of human life, that God is here, He's near, and He brings a word, and it isn't just do this, don't do that, but He says, I can orient you now, that we can be citizens of a story that is true and good and beautiful. And if we take that, just this idea, and we say, what else is true in life? Should I take a job in Cincinnati? Should I marry this person? How do I find the good life? Well, if it's true that God didn't remain at the top of the ladder in heaven, but if he climbed down in Jesus, and if he really is this physical life, this body, these trees, these cities, if the kings will bring the glory and splendor of all life, all that is good into heaven, well, then I can hear the voice of Christ, and in the voice of Christ, I can find my truest satisfaction, my deepest meaning, and I can be reoriented into the true and good story that God is writing, not just in the world, but in our little worlds too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that uh, on this Feast of Transfiguration, Father, that in a moment we will be able to feast on the very body and blood of your Son and that his glory will enter into us. Father, we pray that as we pilgrim in this world of disquietude, as we bump up against giants, Father, we pray you would keep us very near your Son and your Spirit, and that we would listen for his voice in Scripture, in the great tradition, in the voice of one another. Father, we pray that you would find us faithful and that one day we would behold you in your glory. And we, like Moses, like Elijah, Father, that we, in seeing your face, would be made all that we were called and created to be. In Christ's name, amen.